This morning's reading is from 1 John, uh, start in chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because, <clears throat> because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. pray. <clears throat> Father, uh, you are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. God, we're here gathered today to continue to make much of you, to, uh, to uh, extol uh, praises to you, to be reminded of your um, the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of your love for us. And Lord, we're, uh, we see in your word today the, the reminder to, uh, to not just uh, soak in that love, but to uh, pour out that love. Thank you, God, for the reminder again and again in your word to, <clears throat> to love <clears throat> as we've been loved. And uh, God, thank you that you have not only uh, saved us from darkness into light, uh, but you sustain us and that you will bring us all the way home. Uh, that the work that you've begun in us, you will truly bring to completion. Uh, so, Spirit of God, I pray that you would uh, enliven our hearts with your word this morning. I pray, God, that, uh, that you would uh, not uh, let me bring any offense to your word, that you would help me stand behind it uh, rather than go before it. And may you be honored and glorified, and may we be uh, encouraged and edified this morning. It's for your glory. It's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray. God's people said, <clears throat> amen. Hey, uh, can I ask somebody to do me a favor, Jolene? I left my water inside the um, nursing mom's room. I was the only one in there. <laughs> I think it's in there. <clears throat> you know, as I was um, preparing this morning and even yesterday, and even as I walked up in the first service, I was just so grateful and so thankful and so reminded of, of God's sustaining power and um, how, thank you so much, thank you very much, and um, how um, God doesn't uh, ask us to be uh, on, um, He doesn't ask us to uh, strive for success, 
He doesn't ask us to wallow in failure. Um, he uh, calls us to faithfulness. And, um, and if you're here this morning, uh, regardless of what's going on in your morning or your week, um, just a reminder that God is faithful, um, even um, when you might fail or when you might be faithless, that, he, um, that he's with you, he loves you. Uh, you're anchored in, if you know Jesus. You're anchored in. Uh, you're clothed in Christ's righteous robes. Um, and you, or you also have his engine. You have the Holy Spirit as a seal and a reminder that you are his and the strength and the power to uh, live out today in joyful submission to him, to practice righteousness. So I pray that you'd be encouraged by that. Um, we are, if you're new with us here this morning, <clears throat> we're continuing in 1 John, and we're in chapter 3, as Tony read, verses 11 through 18. And uh, last Sunday, we looked at verses 4 through 10, and we looked at one of the key aspects of how God's beloved children are to live um, on this rock called earth. If you've been born again, uh, there should be evidence of an increasing desire and increasing evidence of practicing righteousness. If you've been born again, there should be a, um, a decreasing desire and a decreasing evidence of practicing sin. As I look at my life, as I look at um, my life by an hour, or sometimes I look at it by a day, I can be kind of discouraged because I see that in that day or that hour, maybe I've had more practicing of sin than I have righteousness. But as I expand that out over a week and a month and a year and 10 years, um, it just brings great assurance to my heart and praise to the glory of God that I'm anchored in uh, because that there is um, evidence of, uh, of an increasing desire uh, to practice righteousness rather than practicing sin. And I want to remind you up front, we can't remind you enough, we can't remind each other enough that practicing righteousness um, is living a joyful, uh, a life of joyful obedience to the Father out of our acceptance, not for our acceptance. So if you're here today and you um, hear these uh, admonitions to uh, practice righteousness, to be holy, to love others, none of that saves you. None of that saves you, that we have been accepted um, uh, by Christ uh, because of grace through faith. And our response to that is to be holy as He is holy, to practice righteousness, to have a sure direction where one day we will arrive in sure perfection. But in the meantime, we'll depend upon the Spirit of God, um, our engine, to, to move us forward uh, in this endeavor. I want to describe in a little bit more detail what uh, practicing righteousness is. Um, practicing righteousness is simply and profoundly loving God. It's loving God in its purest sense. It's, uh, Romans 12.1 says that we're to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, and that is our spiritual worship. So if you talk about loving God and there's no practice or no direction of practicing um, righteousness or loving brothers and sisters, um, then you don't understand um, the love of God. Um, you don't understand really what it means to be accepted. It's living, practicing righteousness is living in joyful submission to the Lord. It's seeking to please Him. It's seeking and desiring to do His will rather than seeking to please ourselves or to do our own will. 
It's the first half of Jesus' summary of the entire law, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's practicing righteousness. John said it another way in chapter 14, or Jesus said it another way, written by John in John chapter 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then say, if you love me, you will pray. If you love me, you will spend time in my word. Those are all important. If you love me, you will practice righteousness. You will keep my commandments. You will strive to be holy as I am holy. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. It's not enough to know that we've been anchored in it. We need to know that we have the engine. It would be a cruel joke if God told us to obey him, to be holy as he is holy, and give us no ability to do that. So he sealed us. He's given us the engine. He's given us the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him, excuse me, neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. John calls the spirit that indwells us. In chapter 3 here of 1 John, he calls it the seed. And the seed is both our anchor and our engine. We're asked by the Lord to obey out of acceptance, not for acceptance. And he gives us the ability to obey by the power of the spirit or the seed who indwells us. So today's focus is going to be on the second half of Jesus' summary of the entire law. It's how, to, um, it's how to love as God's beloved children. And this is a difficult passage in, in many ways. It's a difficult passage uh, because we all understand, we all have been told that we're to love. But it includes um, loving others as we have been loved. We're going to take a look at love from a biblical standpoint, not from a worldly standpoint, of course. Not the way the songs sing about love. Um, we just, Nancy and I just watched a documentary called The Echoes of the Canyon. I don't know if anybody has seen that. But if you like music from the 60s and 70s, it's just a fun documentary, but it's also sad. Um, some of the top songwriters of the 60s and 70s um, wrote about love, and they lived in um, loving relationships, and it was all about sin. Um, and so it's about, it's about a feeling. It's about an emotion rather than a choice to love as God has loved the world. So what about loving others? You know this. I know this. But what does loving others even look like? Why is it so hard? Well, it's hard because of sin. It's hard because sin complements or complicates things. My sin makes me unloving and unloving, or excuse me, unloving and unlovely, and your sin makes you unloving and unlovely. On top of that, there's just some people who we don't naturally like or resonate with. So how are like and love connected? Do I need to like somebody in order to love them? I want you to think about that. What do we do about this? Like and love. 
What do we do about this, this verse, this, this second great commandment to love others as Christ has loved us, to love others as we love ourselves? A few weeks ago, in one of the funnest messages that I had a chance to uh, just put together for myself, I have no idea if it impacted anybody else, but I spoke on the most common word used for God's love towards the pinnacle of His creation, the most common word, which is charity or agape love. This is the type of love that the New Testament primarily encourages you and I as Christians towards in our relationship towards others. We're to love others as Christ loved us or agape us. But I want to review from a high level the definition of the other three types of loves that C.S. Lewis lays out in his, four, in his book, The Four Loves. There's storge, there's phileia, and there's uh, eros. Storge is an affection born out of a familial relationship. It's like a mother and a child. Phileia is friendship. It's a me too kind of love. It's a type of love where it's like, man, I just like you because you work out at the same gym I do. You like to fly fish. You like eating German chocolate cake. Eros is a romantic love. We get our word erotic from it. It's a husband and wife love. Each of these three loves, storge affection, phileia friendship, eros is romantic, each of these three loves are natural loves, if I, if I can. They're easy to exercise because we have an attraction to or something in common with somebody else. All three types of these loves are based on the object of love being lovable or likable. They're easy to love at times. It's natural, if you will. There's chemistry. It's a love. These three are based on a love um, that is based on um, uh, affection or friendship or romance. It's a love extended because the recipient is lovely in one way, shape, or form. Liking something, liking is something natural or, or, or instinctive. Something that is not a result of effort. My little grandson, Oliver, it's like, I don't even have to work at, lo- at liking him or loving him. Just for a moment, when I almost had to change his diaper, I stopped liking him. But then Nancy took him, changed it, and we were good. <laughs> it's not a result of effort. You'll find yourself liking or not liking. And I want to like, just be honest with this today, that we all have people we like and resonate with, and we all have people that we dislike and don't resonate with. But what does that have to do with love? Liking is an interest in superficial things like appearance or temperament or behavior or mannerisms. Agape love is what John encourages us toward. Agape love is what Jesus extended to us, God the Father extended to us. Agape love is how we're to love one another. Agape love is a love that creates because it desires to give love. It creates because it desires to give love. Agape is complete, self-sufficient, and has no wants or needs to satisfy other than the desire to see the other person loved. And make no mistake, agape love is not love because the object of the love is lovable or even likable. It's because the giver of the love is altogether lovely. 
Agape is the way God loves you and the way, and you and I, in the way that He wants us to love others. And the more we understand His love for us, the more we're free to love others unconditionally without expecting anything in return. We're committed to give, we're committed to give love to the undeserving, those whom we don't always agree with or even naturally like, and we're to love them for their benefit and to satisfy their need, not for our benefit and to satisfy our own need. So today John instructs us to love others and not to be surprised. Two things, love others and don't be surprised when the world hates you. Two massive subjects this morning. Love others and don't be surprised when those in the world whom you are loving hate you in return. A couple questions for you to consider. Do I have to like someone to love them? Do I have to agree with their lifestyle or agree with their decisions in order to love them? Here's one. How do you know if you love somebody? How do you know? Is it a feeling? Just a warm feeling inside? What should be my motivation for loving others, both my brothers and sisters in Christ and the world? And there's four words that um, I'm going to start with here. We're going to hit in the middle, and I think at the end as well. Those words are see, feel, act, and give. See, feel, act, and give. And I would suggest to you that those four words are the, um, the genesis of loving others as Christ has loved us. See, feel, act, give. In verse 10 of chapter 3 of 1 John, uh, we ended there last week. We didn't spend much time on it, but it says this, by, by this, it is evident who the children of God are. What is this? And who are the children of the devil? Who does not, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I don't know why John speaks in negatives like that, but what he's saying is, is that if you don't practice righteousness... If there's not a direction of practice and righteousness, if there's not a direction of loving your brother, um, you are of the devil rather than being of God. And it's important to remember, I want to remind you right here up front, that the New Testament never calls us to do anything without first reminding us of who we are. You're children of God. If you know Jesus, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you are children of God. You are born of God, that you are indwelt by His seed or His Spirit. So the first proof that we are a child of God is that we love others, including our enemies. Verse 11, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. The gospel message is that of love. We've been loved by God, and therefore we're to love God and love others. And then he gives us another negative. He always starts with a negative. We're to love others, but not as Cain did. Cain and Abel. Most of you know who Cain and Abel are. They were Adam and Eve's first kids. And uh, Cain, um, what Cain uh, sacrificed, and Abel sacrificed to the Lord. And the Lord accepted uh, Abel's sacrifice. And Cain, out of jealousy and self selfishness, uh, killed his brother. And why did, we, why did he kill him? It's because, it says here, because his deeds were evil. Cain's deeds were evil, evil, and his brother's righteous. 
Listen to Hebrews 11.4. Abel, in this scenario, is a picture of all humanity who is inside God's kingdom, who is walking in light. Cain is a picture of darkness or the world. By faith, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Cain had no faith. Abel had faith. Cain um, uh, practiced sin. Abel practiced righteousness. They could have done the same act, actually. One was sacrificing without faith, trying to earn acceptance. That's Cain. The other was um, sacrificing Abel out of faith, um, um, out of, excuse me, by faith, out of acceptance. This has been the story throughout the entire Bible, that self-centeredness was the, what, what caused the fall of Satan. He was a perfect being created by God who fell because he was not content in spending eternity worshiping and glorifying God. He wanted to be worshiped. He wanted to be the center of the universe. He wanted to be king of his own world. This turned into hatred of God and hatred of all that is good, including God's people. This is the hate, this is the hate that Cain showed towards his brother. This is the hate that produces war between nations. Men and women in their self-centeredness hating anyone who seems to have something they do not. This is not becoming of us as Christians. This is not who we are. Titus says this is who we used to be, Titus 3. For we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient and led astray and slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, but because according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So the first proof that we're children of God is that we love the brethren, that we love others. The second proof that you're the children of God, you're not going to like this. You're hated, the world hates you. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, when the world hates you. Don't be surprised. In fact, I might even dare say, be encouraged. Particularly if they hate you for the right reason. Be discouraged if they hate you for the wrong reason. And I see Christians um, on a daily basis, on social media, getting upset with the world who has, quote, taken away our rights as Christians. Now, we can, we can vote, and we should vote, and there's particular ways to um, stand up for our rights in this great country called America, but you don't have any rights. Actually, what we deserve is hell. Well, that's encouraging. What you deserve is hell. Yeah, you, every one of you. Me at the front of that line. But because of, but, but God, rich in mercy, when we were dead and deserving of hell, he made us alive in Christ Jesus where we will never taste a spark of hell. And we will only drink from the cup of blessing.
So next time we feel like our rights have been compromised, the next time that Christians are slandered or censored or persecuted, remember Jesus' words that the world will hate you. And he gives us a response on what we do with that hate. It's Jesus that informs us what to do when the world hates us. You see, in the Last Supper discourse, Jesus taught the need to love one another. And then immediately, he followed this command with a reality check, that the world hates you. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 12, take a bite of bread, take a sip of wine, six more verses. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Why does the world hate us? Because we're not of the world. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, praise be to God that you've been delivered from the domain of darkness and you've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world, what? Hates you. You see, Cain represents a non-believing world, those who don't believe in Jesus is the only way. The world here is anyone not born of God. You see, when we profess faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, when you believe that there is salvation only through faith in Jesus, when you believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father, the world's going to hate you. When you, when you practice righteousness, striving by the power of the Spirit to live in submission to the Father in His Holy Word, the world's going to hate you. And they're going to censor you. The gospel of Jesus Christ, as the Bible presents it, is offensive. And it's extreme. That is until God opens the eyes of the heart and calls people out of darkness. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 23 through 24. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, Jews and Greeks, every tribe, every nation, every ethnicity, every uh, demographic, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The words stumbling block and foolishness are very similar to the accusation that the gospel is offensive and extreme. And I'm here to tell you that the gospel is offensive and it's extreme to those who are perishing. Until God opens the eyes of those who have been perishing to see the good news. So we need to settle on our hearts. We need to be willing to be criticized. We need to not revile when been reviled. We need to be willing to be persecuted by bringing the best news in the entire world and having others throw it back at our face 
as closed-minded, narrow-minded foolishness. That has happened everywhere the gospel has been preached for 2,000 years. And might I say it's happened in every place the gospel has been preached, the proto-gospel, going all the way back to Genesis 3. Some believe and rejoice in the gospel as the greatest news in the world. Others don't see it yet. And they regard it as the height of arrogance and in turn hate those who believe it and proclaim it. So what do we do? The solution is not to separate ourselves from the world. Jesus said in the high priestly prayer in John 17, 18, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, Father, as you have sent me into the world, I what? I send them into the world. You see, my fear is is that the church is either going to deep dive into the world and we're going to compromise or the church is going to go completely separate from the world and we can't be salt and light. And we're to be in the world, but not of the world. So the solution is not to separate ourselves from the world. The solution also is not to retaliate. We need to make sure the world hates us because of the gospel, not because of our hateful, retaliatory actions. Let's let the message be the offense. You see, I don't think the world hates Christians because we do good. I don't even think they hate us because we're hateful, even though I do see pockets of that in Christianity. No, they hate us specifically because we're born of God because we want to be light in darkness, because we have an exclusive message for a massive world. They hate us because we're born of God and we practice righteousness. And a reminder along the way is that, believer, we've been set apart. We have a new name. We have a new family. We have a new mission, and our new mission is the great commandment, and the second one, just like it, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, practice in righteousness, and to love our neighbor, our neighbor, our Christian neighbor, and our non-believing neighbor as we love ourselves. Verse 14, we know that we passed out of, out of death into life because we love the brothers. That's evidence. There's a direction. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Blessed assurance that we've passed from death to life is our love for others. Loving your brother is selfless and demands nothing in return. It's truly a give love rather than need love. Hating your brother, hating the world, is just giving them what they deserve. And I thank the Lord that Jesus didn't come to give us what we deserve. He came to give us everything that we didn't deserve. Agape love has no needs and only gives to the needs of others. It does not love to get something in return. It it compels us to serve for the benefit of others, even and especially others that are unlovely and that we don't like. Whoa. Is it okay for me not to like somebody? 
Verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. By this, what is this? By this we know love. This is the giving, sacrificial, selfless love of Christ. We know love because of Christ's selfless sacrifice. He did it for murderers, those who put him on the cross, he died for. For haters. He did this for people who were dead and vile and unlovable. He laid down his life for you and I, his enemies. He gave everything up because of our need. We don't have time to go into Philippians 2, but it's the best section of Scripture, in my opinion, in the New Testament, that talks about what Jesus did. He saw our predicament. He saw that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. He saw it from, from eternity past. And then he had compassion on us. He saw us like sheep without a shepherd. He didn't stop there. He took action. He condescended. He took the form of a human. And not only did he act, not only did he see, not only did he feel, not only did he act, but he gave. He gave his life. Selflessly. And that's the mantra. That's the mission of the believer to bless others as we've been blessed, to love as we have been loved. And I was just thinking about this this morning in the wee hours of the morning. Like, what? So there, there are just, there's people that genuinely that I don't resonate with in this world. Some are, some are Christians, some aren't Christians. But I'm called to love them all. And I wrote this down. I said, those whom we don't like shouldn't realize that we don't like them because of our selfless love for them. Loving others is treating them as if we like them. And I know that might be controversial, but for me it's actually freeing. I mean, I don't particularly like people to go to Pilates. I prefer people to go to CrossFit. <laughs> but I'll love you. I might even drive you there. I'm, I'll slow the car down and boot you out. Those whom we don't like shouldn't realize that we don't like them because of our selfless love for them. Loving others is treating them as if we like them. Verse 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's good, John's getting practical on us. He said, you want to know what love is? Um, you might know what love feels like. You want to know what love acts like? If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children. I love it. So gentle. Little children. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Jonathan Edwards says this. Love is the chief of the affections and the fountain of all other affections. In order for us to, to meet one another's needs, in order to serve one another, those affections have got to be motivated by the chief affection, which is agape, giving, selfless, sacrificial love. A true understanding of grace working through faith will always result in good works. So John says this, he says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And I'm going to tell you what I said the first service, and then I'm going to correct that. 
because this one's been recorded. No, it's because I, I, I think I made an error in the first service, actually. So let me read James chapter 2, verses 14 through 15 in way of explaining what it might mean to close our heart against somebody in need when we have the world's goods. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of, them, one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not work, is dead. And as I was thinking through this, what my initial reaction was is that, that as, as Jesus saw us, he had compassion on us, he, um, he acted, and then he gave himself. And um, as I first looked at this, and I go, well, what does it mean to close my heart on a brother in need? Does it mean that I haven't met the need? And I don't think it means that. A brother came to me in the second service and said, you know what, um, is there a possibility that I can see the need, um, that I can have compassion, I can act not knowing what I'm supposed to do? Because there's a, there's a point where we enable people as well. But when we act, and the act is, might be just like meeting the need right there, but at the very least, it's not closing our heart and it's saying, God, what should I do? I see the need. I've got compassion. There's no judgment in my heart. And would you, would you show me, would you help me not close my heart on this person and help me help them take the next step? Whether it be giving them what they need or helping them get to a place where they can, for lack of a better word, acquire what they need. So I don't think closing your heart here is necessarily not meeting the need, but I think closing the heart is actually um, closing your heart to their need. It's somebody else's problem. That's closing your heart. Somebody else will take care of it. Not my problem. I don't have time. They probably, they're probably getting what they deserve. Don't they know we live in a good economy? Don't they know that there's help wanted signs at, at, at uh, every place in town? Well, those things might be true. And that person might be lazy. But why assume that? Why not just see them? Have compassion on them. Keep your heart open to them. Maybe there's something inside of them that, that there's some kind of a, a brokenness. There's some type of depression. There's something that is holding them back from meeting their own needs. Before we talk about loving our enemies, we've got to start with loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says this, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, I love it. I love the word opportunity. So as we have an opportunity, God gives us opportunities every day. Our life's not our own. The world's goods aren't our own. Our money's not our own. So then as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone. How about if we're just looking for opportunities? I stole this out of the children's nursing area earlier because I wanted to throw it to somebody. 
I got that out of my system. Thanks. That was Satan distracting me. So as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. He says in verse 18, he sums it up, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And what he's saying here is that, um, that loving indeed is truly love. When we love indeed, when we have action, it is truly loving. And when Jesus is your why for loving others, you can continue to be gracious to your neighbor, to people you may not even like, to the neighbor whose dog poops on your lawn, the neighbor who has a barking dog. You can continue to be gracious for the person who has a different, a different political affiliation than you. You can continue being gracious without expecting anything back in return. We can love others without insisting they do something for us because Jesus has already done it all. And I want to take you to this, uh, this um, picture up here that we've seen before. And I want you just to uh, ponder that just for a minute. Because where we operate oftentimes in this world as Christians is in the bottom left. It's just easy to stop in a Sunday service. It's easy to pop in on a community group. It's easy just to throw money at a mission, a good mission. And just, to, just have a transaction. This is a transaction. Being here on Sunday, um, if that's all you're doing, if that's, if that's your only involvement in this church or any other church, it's just a transaction. It's not a relationship. And what God wants us, where God wants us is in the, is in the, um, the northeast quadrant. That's where Jesus was when he came. He saw us. He had compassion on us. And I can see and I can have compassion and I can still be somewhere on the bottom left of that chart. But it's not until I act. It's not until I, 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 I see and I feel and I act, I keep my heart open, and then finally I give not only of the worldly goods, but I give of myself. And brothers and sisters, in this church, my prayer is that you would want to be seen, that you would want to be known, and that you want to see and know others so that we can have um, compassion on one another, so we can serve one another, act and give it out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the message of love. Thank you for, um, Father, that you so love the world, the world and all of its vileness, murderers and haters and enemies, that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten Son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And I thank you, God, that we, that we have you, that you are ours and we are yours. And I thank you for the truth that by grace, through faith, we have been anchored in. We've been anchored into your righteousness.
that we've been clothed with your righteous robes. And I thank you, God, that you have called us unto righteousness, to practice righteousness, and that you have given us the engine to be able to live that out joyfully, the Holy Spirit. And so, God, I pray that, uh, that this church, that my life, that each of our lives would be increasingly um, um, overtaken by the love of Christ that we would daily uh, dip our toe into the truth of the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of your love for us. And God, like a, like a reservoir, that it would not just fill us up, but it would just overflow uh, into this church, into one another's lives, and into this world. And God, as the world hates us because of the message we proclaim, God, I pray that we would love them in return. I pray, God, that we would remember that we've got the only message that can set haters free from the power and the penalty of sin. So God, would you use us um, in that realm for your glory and for the good of your blood-bought people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Close our service together.